Thanks, Tom. So in the first service, uh, I, I asked this question, and I'll ask it again. How many people are recognized or familiar with the, the saying, a gift that keeps on giving? A gift that keeps on giving. Well, my brother came to town from Texas, and the gift he gave all of us was a cold. The whole family has it now, so hence the water bottle and hence the cough drop. So I didn't need them in the first service, so hopefully um, I won't need them during this one. He, um, that same brother was here during the service, and since I kind of called him out on the gift that keeps on giving, he scooted away really quickly after service so he didn't get in trouble with his little sister. So... <laughs> Like Tone said, my name is Karen Willits. My husband, Douglas, and I have been come, going here and coming here together for a number of years. Like you, Douglas and I exchanged Christmas gifts this year. And so my question for myself and all of us today is, what are you doing with the gifts you received? I can ask myself that question. What am I doing with the gifts I received? Not just this year, but over all the years. What have I done with the gifts that I received years and years ago? Are they in a closet? Are they used? Are they, were they given to goodwill or put in the garbage long ago? Or do, am I still using them? What have I done with the gifts I've received? I think of some of the gifts my siblings and I received when we were kids. Some of us will remember a toy called Stretch Armstrong. And it was a toy, it was like... It was meant for my brothers, but I kind of stole it from them and used it more than them. But it was this kind of hulky toy, and it was about this big, and you could stretch the arms and stretch the head and all this stuff. And we would use that gift. We used it, and we used it. It's a gift that we used a lot. I even confessed to my brother today and uh, my other siblings the other day, I said, I like that gift, and I use that gift so much that I even took a little pin and I would poke it in different spots just to see that goop come out. And I say that just to emphasize the fact that I use that gift a lot. I liked that gift and I used that gift. Another gift I received as a kid was an Easy Bake Oven. Who had an Easy Bake Oven? I love that toy. I said in the first service, that was a toy I had in the 70s. I don't think they would even allow those to be sold nowadays. The safety features alone would, would uh, be, be mind-boggling. But it was a little oven, and I could make little cakes, and I loved that oven. I loved that Easy Bake Oven. I used that gift a lot because I treasured that gift, and I liked that gift. Well, then I think of the gifts, other gifts I received over the years that I didn't use. One that uh, I came to my mind as I was writing this sermon was I was stationed in Germany back in the late 80s through the mid-90s in the army. And I was single at the time, and many singles would gather together at the chapel, and we'd become friends, and we kind of did life together because we were all single and didn't have families there. So we would even do gift exchanges. And one gift I received one year was the ever-loving, everybody-always-loves Fruitcake, right? And it was just a gift that I didn't want, I didn't like, so what, did I use it? No. And in the subsequent Christmases, I, that gift kept getting re-gifted by the people in this group. We not only uh, re-gifted it at Christmas, we'd pass it around, like wrap it up in a, and disguise it as a, Chris, as a birthday gift for someone. And then ultimately, a friend of mine used it as a doorstop in his apartment because his door wouldn't stay open. So that fruitcake, 
I never used. Why did I not use that fruitcake? Because I didn't like it. I didn't want it. So what about you? What have you done with the gifts you've received in your life? Not just this year, but in the years past. Maybe there's a gift that you were really hoping for and you actually got it, and then it disappointed you, and you didn't even use it. What if some gifts that you received were valuable and you didn't know it? And you just got rid of them and put them in a closet. What if a gift you received was very valuable and you didn't know it? Why don't we use some of the gifts we receive? Maybe the gift hasn't lived up to its expectations. Perhaps the gift is not useful. Perhaps the gift doesn't make any difference in your life at all. Whether the gifts you received have been useful to you or not, today we're focusing on a gift that is very useful and makes all the difference. It's a gift that has been both used and discarded, a gift that has lived up to its expectations for some and has disappointed others, and that gift is Jesus. How do we use this gift? What do we use this gift for? How can we apply Jesus to our lives and how can he make a difference in our life? How can we apply Jesus to the world? And how does Jesus make a difference in the world? That's what we're exploring today. So to get where we're going, let's pause a second and look where we've been. In the month of December, Pastor Brad preached a series called The Gift. The first week, we looked at Jesus as Emmanuel. The second week, we looked at how Jesus is God's perfect high priest. On the third Sunday in the Gift series, we looked at Jesus as God's prophet. Then last Sunday, we looked at Jesus as king who came to usher in the kingdom of God. So what do we do with this knowledge that Jesus is Emmanuel, prophet, priest, and king? And even a bigger question I asked myself when I was preparing this sermon is, what does it mean when we say that Jesus is the king who ushered in the kingdom of God? What do we do with that? What does that mean? It's great information about Jesus, but how do we apply kingdom of God to our lives? And what difference does it make? I went to seminary for three and a half years. And still, when I came to this sermon and I was reading various, uh, various um, commentaries, I kept coming across that the, the central focus of the reason Jesus came to earth was to usher in the kingdom of God. Usher in the kingdom of God. I'm like, there's kingdom of God everywhere. And I'm like, well, how do I define kingdom of God? If I were just to be asked, how do I define the kingdom of God? Well, hold on to your horses, as my mom would say. You get to wait to, to find that out and how, how we define the kingdom of God. So, we have this gift. We have Jesus Emmanuel. He's in our hearts for those who have uh, invited him into your hearts. We have Jesus the King. We are part of the kingdom of God. Holy cats, that's like amazing when you say it out loud like that. It sounds like a big deal. Jesus arrived as king and ushered in the kingdom of God so everything in the world would be better. I mean, Jesus showed up. And we have this kingdom of God thing. So everything in the world is wonderful and none of us have any problems in our life, right? So we can just go home. No, that's not, that's, that's not the story. So perhaps you're wondering the same thing. Where is the kingdom of God and all the messes in this world? 
Where is the kingdom of God in the mess in your own life, you might ask yourself. If we have this gift, this gift of God, this gift of the king, the kingdom of God, what about the problems at my job? What about the problems at my kid's school, the bullying, the shootings? What about the problems in my own relationship? Shouldn't there be more hope? Shouldn't there be more good in the world if we have this gift, the kingdom of God? This kingdom of God stuff is great to hear about, but how has it made a difference in your life and in this world? So if we have this kingdom of God, we might ask, and you might already be asking it since I've said kingdom of God like 30 times by now, why am I even talking about the kingdom of God today? Well, it ends up, if we read the Gospels, the kingdom of God is something that Jesus talked about a lot. It's something that he talked about the most. To answer the questions, I think we need to spend a few minutes and understand what kingdom of God is. You might agree with me that it's difficult to use a gift that we don't understand. Is that right? We're going to look at kingdom of God and what it means and how it can make a difference in your life and how it can make a difference in this world and is. Today we're not looking at a specific Bible verse or even a section of scripture. We're looking at it all from, Revelation, uh, Revelation, from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. I told the first service that, that because we're looking at the whole, whole book, Revelation, uh, Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, we'll be here till next Christmas. So, and if you get hungry, I have a fruitcake you can have. Yeah, so. So we're looking at the theme, one, one very good way to learn scripture. Now, one of the very good ways is to learn scripture by looking at the themes. A lot that we do is we look at a verse or a chapter. But if you really want to get what's going on in, in scripture, you look at the themes that's going on. One of them is creation. Creation is a theme. It, and then the restoration of creation that had to happen after, after uh, the fall. Another theme is love, God's unconditional love for us. But another major theme is the kingdom of God from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22. So when Jesus spoke of the kingdom of God, what we're focusing on today is when he spoke of the kingdom of God while, during his time on earth. The kingdom of God is central to Jesus' message, but like I said, it's difficult to understand. Given that it's central, what does it mean to me or to us, especially if we're trying to follow Jesus? If I'm trying to follow someone and follow their teachings, it'd probably be a pretty good idea to learn what they thought was important or what they taught about the most. To figure this out, we're going to look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in the, in the Gospels, the, the kingdom of God was talked about the most. Now, many of us have been going to church for many years, and we've learned a lot of things about Jesus. We've learned about his moral teachings, We've learned that he sacrificed himself. We learned that he taught us to love our neighbor and forgive our enemies. But all of that, even though that is great stuff that we learned, it's still not the central theme. Those things are a part of a bigger theme. It's all under the umbrella of the kingdom of God. I'm not trying to minimize these other things. I mean, I'm not going to stand here and minimize, you know, Jesus died and rose again and went to heaven. Of course I'm not going to minimize that. But that's all under this theme 
of the kingdom of God. It's what he most spoke of. In the book of Matthew, he mentioned kingdom of God over 50 times. So, got it, right, Corinne? Okay, kingdom of God, we got it. Okay, so good, okay. So I want you to understand who Jesus is and why he came to earth. We need to learn this kingdom of God stuff. And so just as a reminder where we're going, we have a gift, king, Jesus as king, who ushered in the kingdom of God. How do we use this gift? How do we use it to make our difference in our life? And how do we use it to make a difference in this world? So just track with me for a moment. Because where we're going is not only a shift in our thinking when it comes to kingdom of God and how we define it, it's also a big deal, this kingdom of God stuff, because it's the answer to how we can use this gift, the gift of Jesus, the gift of the kingdom of God. So we're going to just for a minute or two be on, the, be on the grammar topic. Everyone loves grammar, right? Nouns and verbs. When I, was, when I was in seminary, I was told, I had no idea about this, I was told when I was signing up for classes, well, are you going to take um, Greek or Hebrew as part of your MDiv? And I'm like, well, Greek or Hebrew, is the third option neither? And he said, no, the third option is both. So I'm like, okay. So I had to learn, I chose Greek. And one of the first things my Greek professor said was before you learn Greek, you have to get gooder at grammar. Before you learn Greek, you have to get gooder at grammar. And one of the reasons he said that is in the world of languages, we have just countless languages in the world, English is known to be one of those languages that doesn't do grammar very well. Meaning, it doesn't, if you look at a lot of other languages like Hebrew and Greek, Spanish is another one, the, the endings and how the nouns and verbs and everything operate really, really make a difference. They can get very intricate endings in a lot of different languages. But in the English, it's kind of vague. So it ends up that many things translated from other languages into English are translated incorrectly. So here's an example. Our English word for kingdom, if you look in the dictionary, is primarily refers to a place. It's a noun. The word kingdom for us has stuck as a noun century after century of translation after translation after translation. In the Greek and Hebrew words, which are the original language that scripture is written in, the word kingdom is a verb. The word kingdom is an activity. It's an action. But because we focus on kingdom as a noun, we tend to just not really do much with kingdom of God. Like even myself standing here, seminary in, in, in my rearview mirror, to me, was, if someone were to ask me kingdom of God, I'd be like, um, kingdom of God, well, kingdom of heaven, it's, it's where God is. I know Jesus did something with it at his birth, and he's coming back to uh, usher in his kingdom at the second coming. That would be about my vaguest way I can uh, do anything with the kingdom of God, even after three and a half years of seminary and studying scripture for a lot of my life. Kingdom of God just didn't, wasn't a big part of my language. But if we look at it as a verb, it becomes a gift that we can use. How do we kingdom? How did Jesus kingdom? We could spend more time on nouns and verbs. There's probably a few people in the room who want more grammar. I'm not one of them, so we'll keep going. Our focus today is what are we doing with this gift that is Jesus 
and the kingdom of God that was so central to his message. If we are Jesus' followers, and we now know that kingdom is a verb, let's see how Jesus did kingdom. Or as some authors put it, we can look at scripture and see how Jesus was kingdoming, I-N-G, kingdoming. So what is the kingdom of God and how did Jesus describe it? Let's start with the question instead, how is the kingdom different than the kingdom Jesus showed up in in the first century? Everything in the first century was about rule and power, the emperor over the people he ruled. Everything was about people serving those in, in, in um, power. And so when Jesus shows up and he starts talking about things like, um, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. It's a very different um, kingdom, very different uh, way that uh, people understood the kingdom. Jesus did kingdom. He kingdomed. Let me give you an example, a few of them. How does this kingdom of God exist? It's all action. Jesus served. Jesus loved. Jesus was self-giving. The kingdom is sacrificial, the very opposite of the world, what the world and the people of the first century were experiencing. So this is a big deal. Let's pause a second. If we have kingdom of God, that's kind of a noun, like, okay, what do I do with it? It's something that, oh, good, kingdom of heaven, I'll be there one day. It's not really made a big difference in how I'm a Christian or how I do my life. If I shift it to a verb, well, wait a minute. I then start looking at all the action that Jesus did, I'm like, oh, I, am I living my life this way? Am I kingdoming the way Jesus kingdomed? You know, just look at, there's many, many examples in Scripture, we could be here till next Christmas, of um, Jesus doing kingdom. I'm just going to do one today. And that is how Jesus treated everybody with inherent value. And what inherent means is something you're born with. You have it already. As a human being, it's nothing that I ascribe to you. You're valuable, you're not. You're valuable, you're not. It, that, that, that's not true. As human beings, we have inherent value. That is how Jesus and God sees us. Infinite worth, inherent value. So when you follow Jesus around through the Gospels, everywhere he went, people were better off. Why? Because he treated them with inherent value. He treated them as an equal. Very different, very different than what was happening in the, in the uh, Roman Empire that day. It's something that even today, we as humans have a difficult time doing. We have a difficult time treating each person with the same value as another. This is big because it, it shows us how Jesus did kingdom. In the, in the first century, here's what you might have heard a lot about. Well, I'm a Roman and you're not, so, so, so sorry for you. I'm a man, you're a woman, sorry for you. I'm young, you're old, too bad for you. I'm this color, you're not this color, too bad for you. Everything was ascribed value. Back then, if you had any money, any valuables at all, you're, you were ascribed value. It was said that you uh, had favor in God's eyes because you had money and others didn't. Everything was about you have value and you don't. That was the first century thinking. Is that, can that be applied to today? Can we, have, can we apply that same thought today? Humans just have that, even Christians. We have a way of 
ascribing value instead of seeing inherent value in other people. Jesus saw inherent value in tax collectors, Gentiles, centurions. People were constantly shocked at the people that Jesus was serving because they were the people that everybody else stayed away from. But all of them had inherent value. So this is one example of how Jesus was kingdoming, how he kingdom. He didn't just show up and, I'm the kingdom of God, kiss my feet. I'm the kingdom of God, serve me. No, he was the one that served us. So, earlier in the sermon I mentioned, shouldn't the world be a better place because we have kingdom of God? Because we have this gift, Jesus, and Jesus ushering in the kingdom of God? Well, I think the world is a better place because of the kingdom of God. I'm going to give you some examples, uh, just a few from uh, the church over the centuries, a few examples from our church, and then we'll wrap up. So how has... How has Christians, how have Christians kingdomed over the centuries? Well, we can look at Mother Teresa as an example. She didn't just minister to Christians, she ministered to everybody. I can think of the first hospice. It was in the early 1100s. It was women coming together, trying to get resources to minister to the poor who, if they didn't have that building to go and get cared for, would be dying in the streets. Century after centuries, there's examples of how Christians have been kingdoming from hospitals to mission trips everywhere. And you know what? I hope, I'm pretty sure, each of them were treating each of those people with inherent value. Because more than likely, I don't think they would be doing those missions if they didn't think each person had inherent value. How would this world be a different place if we use the kingdom of God, if we use that gift by seeing everybody and treating everybody with inherent value. So, how about this church? Do we kingdom? Are we a kingdoming church? I think we are. We're not just a noun church, we're a verb church. We do do kingdom. We, we use this gift of kingdom of Jesus very well. A few examples. Mission trips, yearly mission trips to places like Romania and Haiti. Prison ministry, a group of uh, our, our folks just returned this morning. They all were led out of Dakota County Jail after doing a service there this morning. We have a group that uh, gather each week a chore corps, people that help care for the church. We have people in the church itself supports missionaries. We have folks that go to nursing homes. We have people that mentor others one-on-one. -on -one. We have folks that help Somali children with their um, homework after school and with their English. We have a buddy system in the church in case there's someone who maybe the large group of church is too much to handle or they just need some one-on-one -on -one help during the church, we do that. We have a mom's group that mentors single mothers. And we have a group of people that brings awareness and has impact in the area of uh, sex trafficking. On and on, we have groups that, we have parents that have adopted and fostered uh, children that needed a home. All of these people that I mentioned were all treated with inherent value. Why? Because we were kingdoming. We were doing kingdom. I'll give you one more example. When I did prison, I've done prison ministry now for over 20 years. I used to go to Lionel Lakes Prison, the state prison up in Lionel Lakes, every week for many, many years. And there was this one uh, uh, inmate, I'll call him Bob, and he, one time when I was talking with him, 
I was looking him in the eye, and he said, Corinne, why do you look me in the eye? And I said, I'm a person, you're a person. And he goes, I've been here for years. There's other Christians that have come here. No one looks me in the eye. People don't look prisoners in the eye. I said, well, I have value, you have value. And that, and that uh, is God's message. That's why I come here each week, Bob. Now, I don't say that story to tap me on the back, tap myself on the back. What I, why I say it is because I treated that person, no matter what he's done in life, He's in prison, in and out of prison all of his life. I looked him in the eye, and you know what? He got a sense that, hey, I might, ma- I might matter to someone. I might have value in someone's eyes instead of being a less than. And he said, you know what? Because you look me in the eye, I can consider your Jesus. And as far as I know, I haven't heard from him in years, he did make changes, and he never returned to prison. Why? he knew his life was valuable and he was valuable so when we use this gift of jesus we can make a difference in this world how can we use this gift in 2020 not just as a church but in our own lives how can you kingdom your neighbor how can you kingdom someone from a different culture Maybe it's just relationships in your own family how can you use what we what we have This gift, how can you use it to mend relationships in your family or at work? Maybe you're someone that just, Karen, I can't kingdom right now. I can't do that. I I have too many wounds of my own, spiritually, emotionally, physically, too much. Well, then I would invite you to invite someone to kingdom you because you need to be kingdom. We all need to be kingdomed. We all need to be cared for so that we can do this work. We can do the work of being out there and making a difference. This next year is a presidential year. Presidential, I can imagine what's going to be going on these next 11 months. How can we make a difference of building a bridge with someone that thinks differently than us? How can we treat them with inherent value? Treat someone with a different political leaning with inherent value? Shocker, right? No, it, it is. Think of the way that in your life that you would think of, well, they don't have as much value because X. This person doesn't have as much value because of this. No, Jesus said everybody has inherent value. If we can show each person that comes across our path that you have inherent value, that is how we use this gift. That is how we make a difference in this world. Let's pray. There's Father in heaven. Lord, we thank you for the gift that is your son and the kingdom of God that he ushered in. Lord, I pray for anyone here that is just wounded spiritually, emotionally, physically, if they need someone, that they invite someone into their life so that they can be kingdom, so that we can all kingdom each other. Lord, we thank you for that gift. Ultimately, we thank you for the value, the inherent value we have in your eyes. We pray that we can treat each other that way. We say these things in Jesus' name. Amen.